Well, uh, turn with me in your Bibles this morning. Some of you may not even need to turn there to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's where we're going to be focusing today as we continue the series we've been in that we are calling uh, The Cure. And what we have seen as we've worked our way through this first letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth is that Paul has taken us to uh, the cure for uh, many of the problems that arise in the church and also in our world. And what it, it seems to have happened at this time is some of the problems, some of the things that were going in uh, going on around the church at Corinth in their culture was beginning to work its way into the body of Christ and the family of the church there uh, in Corinth. And what we're seeing and what we have seen as we go through this, one of the greatest cures for everything that is wrong, not only in the church, but in our world today, is love. And a love like God has shown us through His Son, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 13 is probably the most familiar chapter in the Bible. Uh, it's often referred to simply as the love chapter. Uh, often if someone refers to the love chapter of the Bible, many of us, uh, even if not great Bible scholars, know that it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I can't think of a better day for us to find ourselves here in the love chapter uh, than on Mother's Day, right? And I didn't plan it this way. It just worked out this way. As I was preparing this week, I thought, God, uh, you're, so, you're so awesome. You did such a good job of planning out this series that this passage of Scripture would land uh, right here on Mother's Day, and I just want to thank our very special uh, mother of our church. She's been a mother not only to her kids, but to many kids, not only in our church, but in our community. Uh, she said her age group that she works best in front of are five-year-olds, and so, uh, but she did a phenomenal job in front of some people older than five this morning reading our scripture with us during worship today. But as I was studying this text, it reminds me of a Peanuts cartoon. Uh, some of you will remember uh, back in the day when we got a newspaper, right? Lynette and I were talking about this with somebody the other day that I was a faithful uh, newspaper reader. I got the Log Cabin Democrat delivered to my home every day. And then on weekends, we would get the state paper, right? The the, the paper, the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and uh, I would just, I was a paper reader. Uh, now, instead of the newspaper, I have Twitter, and so uh, Lynette gets on to me for being on my phone. She never got on to me for reading the paper, uh, but I use Twitter for all my new news now. But uh, I would also read the comic strips, and I didn't read them all. I had some favorites that I read, and Peanuts was one of my favorite comic strips, and there was one in particular that showed Lucy. Uh, she was standing there with her arms crossed, and she's got this angry uh, look on her face, and Charlie Brown is standing there, and he, he's saying, Lucy, he said, you know, you've got to be a more loving person. 
Uh, you've, you've got to love better. The world, what this world needs is love. And I think somebody wrote a song about that, right? Uh, I think there are a lot of songs about that. But he's, Charlie Brown's telling Lucy, the world really needs love. You have to love to make this world a better place uh, that we live in. And Lucy, she angrily turns to uh, Charlie Brown, and she smacks him a good one there in the cartoon. And she says, look, blockhead, she said, the world I love, it's the people that I cannot stand, right? And, and I think a lot of us can relate to that. I, I, you know, sometimes we'll be in there in the church office, and I'll be like, y'all, I can't believe that God called me to be a pastor because today I don't like people. I don't like anybody. You know, and we have days like that, if we're honest. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's easier to talk about loving others and the way that we should love others than actually doing it. And I get that. But we're going to focus on it this morning and hopefully not only talk about it, but go out from this place and live it and display it through the lives that we live. And we're going to see today uh, what, what we're going to look at, I would say, is probably kind of appealing to every single one of us. As Deborah read that, I believe that every one of us would say, I would like to be that kind of person. I, I would like to love like that. And that, that, that kind of life is appealing to us. But it also, as you read through it, it, it could almost be a little bit overwhelming. Because some of the things you read there, and you read about perfect love, and, you know, some of us think that that's unrealistic. I, I can't be this person, you know, this perfect kind of person living out this perfect kind of love. And while, you know, most of us would agree we'd like to be that kind of person, I think every single one of us today would admit that it's hard, right? And it's difficult. Because here's the deal. We don't live in a perfect world. Some of us have neighbors that we don't get along with. And I said us. that not, not Some of y'all have neighbors that you don't get along with. I get along with all my neighbors, my old neighbors, and my new neighbors. And I don't have any problems with my neighbors. Um... Sometimes our kids can just wear on us, right? And it's hard to even show our own children perfect love because we're not perfect and they're not perfect and they know the right buttons to push, right? And they can get on that last nerve. How many of you have said, you're on my last nerve, you know, just go away. Back when I was a kid, it was go outside and don't come back in until the street lights come on, right? Now it's go play a video game until I call you for supper, right? And so life sometimes is difficult. We, we live in a world today that wants to disagree about everything. We live in a world today that wants to draw lines of separation and build walls. And that's not a political statement, but it's true. We like to build walls around what we like and what we're comfortable with, and we want it to stay that way. And it's our culture. It's the world that we live in today. And so this type of Christian love is really 
countercultural in the world that we live in today. And it also can be controversial, not only in the community, but also in the church. When we start talking about the kind of perfect love that we're called to as followers of Jesus Christ. And although this passage is used a lot, where, where do you think this passage is the most used passage at? What kind of event? Wedding, right? It's used a lot uh, in weddings. Uh, and even though, you know, we use it in that context, it says a lot to us about how we're to live not only in the context of marriage, but every single day of our life, in every situation, in every place that we go. And again, I say this often, we need to study Scripture and look at Scripture within the context of what it's talking about, right? A lot of times we'll take something, we'll just pull it out, and you know, it doesn't really line up with the context. When Paul wrote this part of the letter, he wasn't talking about romantic kind of love. He wasn't talking about weddings. He didn't put this together so that it would be something that would be shared at all the wedding ceremonies from that time and until now. He brings up this topic of love within the context of division. He, he brings up this, the, the, this theme of love in the context of arguments that were going on in the church there in Corinth, about spiritual gifts of all things uh, that we looked at a, a couple weeks ago. And talking about a couple weeks ago, I just got to say, last week was a welcomed break from this series. Was it not? For those of you that were here, the Harbor Home, those ladies that came and ministered to us. Y'all, when I saw those little kids with those mothers whose families had been restored and reunited because of what God was doing through the faithfulness and obedience of Larry and Dana and the leadership there at the harbor. I was just overcome, overwhelmed with emotion, seeing what God had done and how He was being glorified. And y'all, not only that, but we talk a lot about we're blessed to be a blessing. Can I just tell you last week, not only were we blessed by their ministry and the testimonies of those women's lives being restored, you were a huge blessing to them. They called me after the service and said, your people embraced us and loved us like we were a part of y'all's church. And the girl, they said the, girl, the ladies just went on and on about how friendly people were, how receptive people were. And we took a love offering at the end of that service. And y'all, you gave almost $7,000 last week as a love offering to that ministry. I had a family walk up to me this morning and said, God laid it on my heart to give this and I opened it and it was another check made out to the harbor home for $5,000. Y'all get it. We have been blessed to be a blessing. And, and I text them right then as soon as I, I, I got it and, and I was standing out there in the lobby and I text them and told them about it. Y'all, that's, 
That's love. That's the kind of love that Paul's talking about here. But we're also going to talk about giving and giving in love more here in just a few minutes. But we've seen that this church in Corinth was plagued by, uh, plagued by all kinds of disputes and all kinds of divisions. And just a, a lot was going on there. And so Paul's reminding them that love is the key ingredient. Could we not agree that the church of all places where ought to be where the most love is found, right? I mean, we ought to be loving people. We ought to be accepting and loving and encouraging. And love ought to just be boiling up out of this place. And, and it does. And, and I love that about this church. And so, But Paul is reminding them, you know what? Love is the, the key ingredient in the church, and not only in the church, but in your individual lives. This is so important, and this is so huge. It's the cure for a lot of problems today. And, and so it would be a mistake to take this chapter out of its context and make it some romantic, you know, wedding reading. It would also be a mistake to think that Paul's words here that were inspired by God, by the way, were simply just addressed to the church at Corinth. God included it in his holy word. And so it's a word for you and I today as well. So let's dig in. We're going to take a deeper look at this beautiful passage of Scripture that I know we've already read it, but I'm going to go through it again in its entirety uh, real quickly this morning. Starting at verse 1, Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, this chapter is actually a continuance of the chapter before that we covered a couple of weeks ago. And first of all, Paul is pointing out here uh, that love is a necessity, right? Uh, without love, without love, your life has no meaning. Without love, your life feels empty and void without love. It is the key ingredient. For all of our lives, living healthy, not only healthy spiritual lives, but healthy emotional and even physical lives as well. And he's referencing here the, the spiritual gift of tongues that he brought up in the previous chapter. But also, if you just take this and read it for what it says there, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. What that says to me is not only is he speaking about tongues that were covered in the previous chapter, but basically what that says to me this morning is it doesn't matter what you say. You can say, I'm a loving follower of Jesus Christ, but if your actions don't express it and show it, then your words are no more than just noise. You're just making noise with all your words, but your actions are not in line with with what's going on there. And I don't know how many of you have had a, a kid or, or one of your children uh, play in the band and played the cymbals or, or played drums. Both of our boys know how to play the drums. It was the most painful thing that I have endured as a parent is my kids trying to learn to play drums in our house. This was back before they had electric drum sets that you could plug a headphone into and only them could hear it, right? This was real drums. 
And the only thing that was more torturous than that drum set being in my house was when Hunter bought a fiddle and decided he was going to try to learn to play the fiddle. Folks, we didn't need a cat because we had one in Hunter's bedroom. You know, and it was just, and that's what Paul is saying here is nothing but noise. And it's annoying noise at that. If you're saying with your mouth, that I have the love of Christ in my heart. I've accepted the love of Jesus into my life, but yet you're not living it. And that's what Paul's talking about. Verse 2, he says, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, he says, I'm nothing. And again, he's mentioning the gift of the Spirit that was covered in the previous chapter. And we learned that as Christians that we all have at least one spiritual gift that's given to us. It's part of the package. When we receive the gift of salvation, we also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And with the gift of the Holy Spirit, we receive some gift that God wants to use for His good and His glory to build His kingdom. Right, And so what Paul is saying here is this. If you have these gifts, if you have these talents, if you've been given this gift and you're not using it out of love to build the kingdom of God, it has no meaning. It has no point. What is the point of life if you're not using that love to build the kingdom of God because that was the purpose and that was the point. And having the gift of knowledge and having the the gift of faith those are awesome things imagine what it would be like if you actually knew everything some of you think you know everything right but those of us around you know you don't right but what if you actually did know everything wouldn't that be awesome or what if your faith was so strong and so powerful that 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 you have such great faith that you could literally move a mountain i mean wouldn't that be amazing If we had that kind of faith. But God says through Paul. Those gifts. Even that. Would mean absolutely nothing. If you weren't using them in love. And out of love. Right. He goes on. In verse 3. If I give all I possess to the poor. And give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love. I gain nothing. So here Paul is moving on from talking about spiritual gifts to now he's actually talking about actions. All right? And on the surface, it may seem a little bit odd because how could someone give away everything that they had to the poor unless they loved the poor? I mean, why would they do that? How could they do that? How how could someone be willing to suffer or even die for their faith in Jesus unless they really and truly loved God? Paul here, who had godly insight into human nature, knows that it's possible to give a lot to the poor, to give a lot to a cause, and not do it out of love. Because let me tell you something, a lot of people give a lot of things and a lot of people give a lot of money to causes and to various 
needs and churches and they don't necessarily do it out of love, but they do it out of the need for a tax write-off. Or they do it out of a, a need for maybe wanting to have more power or more leverage. Or if, hey, if I give this donation right here, um, remember me, wink, wink. Right? And so it's not often done in love. And that's what Paul's addressing here. He knows human nature and that things that sometimes appear to be done in love are actually done with ulterior motives, right? Yes, people do give to the poor out of love, but there's other reasons. You know, sometimes you give just to maybe impress people. Uh, sometimes we give maybe thinking that we're getting brownie points with God. Uh, sometimes people give because it's convenient or easier to do than truly loving someone and embracing their need and embracing their situation with them. I'll give you an example. If someone comes up to me on the street and says that they're hungry, it's real easy for me to just reach in my wallet and give them a little bit of money. Not necessarily because I feel any love toward that person, but more than likely because I know if I give them a little money, their situation will go away, they will go away, and I won't be bothered by that person anymore. You know what I'm saying? And I'm saying if I struggle with that, and I feel that way, and I'm your pastor, then y'all got to be worse than me, right? Huh? I mean, let's be honest. No, y'all know. I'm, I, I have the same struggles y'all have. That's what I'm saying. Sometimes we do things that appear to be out of love when it's really not out of love at all. And Paul says that giving, even giving generously, if that doesn't, flow out of love to that person or that cause or that need, then don't miss this. It has very little value. Very little value. So love is important. It's essential. But what exactly is it? <laughs> what is this love that Paul speaks to that we read about in weddings? Well, it's not really the romantic love that we've made it at all. Paul gives us a description here of what it is and a definition, if you will. Look at verse 4. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. The, Paul, the love that Paul describes here is relevant in any context that's for sure but again he was speaking to the divisions that were going on in the church and he's saying listen folks loving other people means being patient with other people does anybody need God to do more of that work in their heart than me? Being a loving person is being a patient person. And kind 
to people that, yes, you may have different opinions than they have. You may have different ideas than they have. Paul also speaks to the fact that we're not to be jealous or envious of people that have other gifts that we don't have. Because sometimes we look at other people and we think, why did, why did they get that gift? Or why did they get to be on the platform? Or why is the spotlight on them when my gift is not that big of a deal? And we learned a couple of weeks ago that every gift is a big deal because it takes every member to make a healthy body. Right? And so Paul says, hey, those who have different gifts... Don't be jealous of them. Don't envy their position. And those who have these gifts that maybe put them on a platform or on a, in the spotlight, don't be proud about that. Don't be boastful about that. You only have what you have. You can only do what you do because God has allowed you that opportunity and that gift. And he says this is how a person will act. This is how a person will respond. Verse 5 says, Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. I don't like that one. There's some good stuff right there in verse 5. If we love people, we will give them the benefit of the doubt. If they do something we don't agree with or it upsets us, and it happens, there's a lot of things we don't agree with going on in our world today, in our community today. Maybe even some things here in our church today that you don't agree with or you don't like. Love means that we don't get angry about it. We need to maybe put ourselves in the shoes of that person that wronged us or hurt our feelings. Because when we put ourselves in their shoes, it might help us maybe to understand their response or why they let us down. Or maybe we haven't had an over-expectation of someone. And there was no way that they could do everything that we thought that they ought to be doing. Yes, there are always going to be people who do or say things that hurt us real bad. But Paul says, if we love these folks, we don't keep track of that. And that's hard. That's real hard. That is why I believe we also read in Scripture that he is continually doing a work in us to shape us and make us and mold us. And maybe, just maybe, he hadn't gotten me to the point yet to where I don't keep a record of people that have hurt me. 
but I know that he can and I know that he will because I've seen it in the lives of others that are a little further along on their journey than I am. And so I continue to pray that he'll do that work in my heart. And I pray that for you as well. Verse 6, he goes on to say, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. This is an easy one, right? I mean, we get a hard pass on this one. This one we can all, finally, there's something here I can align with and I can say amen to. As horrible as it sounds, though, we don't get this right. At least I don't. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I get this sick pleasure when something bad happens to somebody else. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like that person that blows your doors off. I mean, they've been right on your tail, right on your tail, right on your tail. And then they go around going 85 miles an hour and a mile down the road. There they sit with the blue lights flashing behind them. Sucker! Glad he got you! Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. Verse 7, it always protects. Always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. That's rich. Friends, when we love people, we don't give up on them. And we should never forget that by God's grace, People can change. You see, he's in the business of doing that. And I think we forget that sometimes. I believe these last four verses that we just read are some of the most beautiful in the whole Bible. And probably the best description of genuine love that's ever been recorded or written in any book. And then Paul goes on to say this in verse 8. Love never fails. That truly sums it all up. You never lose by loving. You never lose by showing love. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they'll cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it'll pass. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. What he's basically saying here is this. Life is temporary. Spiritual gifts, temporary. Talent, temporary. And they're not perfect. And the next two verses support that. Look at verse 11. 
When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Luke, wouldn't it have been nice to have a mirror this morning? We moved this week. We can't find nothing. For now we see only as a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And then he concludes with this statement. Verse 13. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. It's a beautiful verse. Many of you have it hanging somewhere in your home, probably. Faith, hope, and love. Think about those three things. Because I'm going to tell you, that's the greatest thing that you can have in this life. That list of three things are the most valuable things that you can have in your life, and that's faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And the reason why is because it is love that is the one thing in our lives that most represents our Father. Our love. The way we love is the one thing that most represents our heavenly dad. 1 John 4, 8 says God is love. 1 John 4, 19 says we love him because he first loved us. 1 John 4, 11 says because of his love, we are even able to love one another. It's only because of His love that we have love and that we can love other people. Greater than any amount of money that you have ever had, may have, or will ever have. It's greater than any spiritual gift or talent. Greater than even faith and hope. And as Christians, that should be one of our greatest desires to demonstrate this kind of love that has been demonstrated for us. Paul's saying, rather than worrying about what you have or don't have, rather than worrying about what spiritual gifts I have, rather than being concerned about what position I have, rather than focusing on gaining money, rather than focusing on pleasures, Above all that, I need to make sure that I am a person who loves. I need to make sure that I'm treating others with the same type of love that God has shown me and extended to me through His Son, Jesus. That is what the 13th chapter of Corinthians is all about. So what does that look like when we walk out the door this morning? What does that look like when we go home? 
or go to work or go to school. What can we take away from this today? Two things before we close. First thing is this. We need to love those who are close to us. And, you know, we look at that and go, well, that's a no-brainer. But is it? Who do we take out our frustrations on when we're having a bad day or we're tired or we're hungry or we're hot or we're cold? Who gets the brunt of that? Those that we're closest to. We need to love our spouse. We need to love our children. We need to love our parents. We need to love our aging parents in the way described in verses 4 through 7. Now, Paul wasn't focusing on family relationships when he wrote these verses. But if we are not demonstrating love to even those who are closest to us, how can we expect to live a life of love that we've been called to live to others around us? If we're not even doing it to the people that we're closest to. Now I realize there's a lot of families today where love is in short supply. I get that. Sometimes families can be even more dysfunctional than the church, right? And we know that. We acknowledge that. But it's our responsibility, no matter how inconsiderate your spouse may be, no matter how big a slob that sucker is, right? (laughs) No matter how disrespectful your children may be, Our responsibility is to love them based on the definition, verses 4 through 7. We need to treat them like we would want to be treated, loving them the same way that God has loved us. The Lord really, this is kind of the point I I get from what Paul is saying this, is, you know what, the Lord really don't give a rip about you saying you're a Christian and that you love people and that you have the love of Christ and all this and then by your actions totally destroying what you've been saying or what you say you are. I'm a Christian. We've talked about that term when we call ourselves a Christian means I am Christ-like because I'm a follower of Christ. And when we say that and we act (laughs) like the devil, Paul is saying here, it's no good. You're wasting your words. You're wasting your time sitting here today if you're not living it out. Second place that this will show up is not only in those that we're closest to, but we need to love those who are different from us. Those who are different from us. So who's different from us? Well, it could be someone of a different color. Someone of a different nationality. It could be those that have a different level of income. Those who have a lot more than you have or a lot less than you have. Could be those 
that have less education? Maybe you look down on those young people. <laughs> I used to crack up when I, was a, when I was a youth pastor, and people would come to me, and they would say, your kids, and they weren't talking about Hayden and Hunter. They are talking about one of those, one of those teens, right? Well, now it's, them blue hairs didn't take the trash out. Can they not at least drag the bag to the, you know? I'm kidding. No one has ever said that about the blue hairs. But when we're young, old people are a lot different from us. They have different ideas, different likes, different opinions. Right? When we're older, those young people, they're a lot different from us. Instead of their hair being blue, it's purple. Orange, green. You know, sometimes I hear Christians say things like, I don't have anything against them. Right? You, you ever prefaced a statement by saying that? Well, you know, I, I don't have anything against that nationality. I, I don't have anything against those people with purple hair. I, I don't have anything, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have, uh, I don't look down on people because they're not educated. I don't look down on them because they're not educated like me, right? Do, do you hear what we're saying sometimes when we say that? Well, I, I don't look down on them. It, it's good not to have a negative attitude toward anyone. <laughs> but that's not enough. God says not only are we not to have a problem with them is... He's saying, we need to love them. It's not a bad idea not to have a bad attitude toward them and not hold that against them, but God says, love them. Love them. And since we're in church, it's pretty easy for us to pretend like we do love them all. But do we really? Love those that are different from us. Chapter 13 is not just talking about how to treat your spouse, your children, or those close to you. It's how we need to treat everyone. Who all is included in that? Everyone. Even those that we don't really want to love. People, let's say, like people who disagree with us. And I know I've said it a lot the last few years. People that don't vote like us. And y'all, the reason that I say that is because it is clearly obvious that it is in politics where we're drawing so many lines and building so many walls and again, that's not a political statement. Every one. 
Even those who disagree with us about our theology, those who may disagree with us on our doctrine, everyone, even, and, and I can't even hardly make myself say that, say that this morning, but even people who cheer for LSU. Because, boy, don't you just love to hate them? I mean, huh? I, God's still working on me. I, I'm not there yet, but I'm sure I'll get there. When it's perfected, I'll be like, hey, LSU, brother, you know, but not now. Get it out of here. We ain't having that. If you're from Louisiana, God bless you. We love you. We ain't got nothing against you. But seriously, y'all, when, when someone disagrees with us over what we think is an important issue, our attitude toward them sometimes sours a little, doesn't it? I mean, it just does. But when we read this passage today, I'm reminded, I still have to love those who disagree with me. I still have to love those who are different from me. I need to show them, most of all, patience, kindness, and the love of Jesus. And just because someone is wrong doesn't mean that we shouldn't love them. And if I were perfect, then maybe I could justify looking down my nose at those who are not. But I'm not perfect. And neither are you, by the way. I'm a sinner saved only by God's grace. If there's hope for me, there's hope for all. I don't have any right to say that anyone else is unworthy of God's love or my love. Our experience of God's love is what enables us. The experience that we've had with Him is what enables us to love other people. And I don't know about you, but I read this and go, you know, most days, and they've heard me say this in the office before, some days I'll go, I'm pretty sure I'm saved. I will, start, I will often start like that, you know. I, I'm pretty sure that I'm saved, but some days I question it. But I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm a Christian. But I know that I don't always love others the way that I should. So what do we do? Well, first off, we confess that to God, right? We confess it, that we know we need help in this area. We ask for God to forgiveness, for God to forgive us, and we ask God to help us. And you know what happens when we ask God to forgive us and to help us? He forgives us and he helps us. That's who he is. That's what he does. He changes folks. He changes lives. Loving the way that God describes here in chapter 13 is not an easy thing to do, but friends, it is the cure for not only your own spiritual health. It's the cure for our world. 
It's the cure for our nation. It's the cure for our community. The love of God working in and through us. And my prayer is that all of us would continue to grow in that love and produce fruit that looks like Jesus and his love to those around us. And again, speaking of love, I don't think there is any better reflection of God's love here on this earth than the love of a mother. You don't get enough recognition. You don't get enough gratitude. My wife, man, an amazing, amazing mother. And she really should get some extra special reward. And she did. Um, Our kids finally moved out. Um, (laughs) But moms, we know you have the hard job. Us guys act like we do all the hard work, but we know deep down in our heart who holds it all together, who loves the unlovable. So thank you. Thank you so much. And again, I wish I could give every single one of you an awesome gift that's as awesome as you are. Uh, But today there's only one lucky one uh, here in our service today. And the lucky mom that is, I agree, one of the greatest mothers that we have in our church and actually on our church board, and that's Corinne Tarkington. Congratulations, Corinne. Let me just pray with you before we go. God, we thank you this morning for this reminder about love. And all of us have experienced love Uh, Your love for us. And God, I would just say right now that if there is someone here or maybe someone listening that has not received your love, that has not accepted that and has not um, allowed you to begin to change them and make them into the person of love that you created them to be, I pray that today would be a day that they would do that. That they would accept you, they would surrender their heart to you and allow you to begin that work. But God, thank you today for this reminder. We all needed it. This pastor needed it. Um, We can make excuses a lot of times for our behavior. But really, there's no excuse for not living out the kind of love that has been shown to us. So help us, forgive us where we get it wrong. But help us to do better. And we can with your help. Thank you for these moms that are here today. Thank you for my mom. I thank you for the moms that aren't here. That have passed on. But yet we have wonderful memories that we can carry with us for the remainder of our life. Thank you for the love of a mother. Because it truly shows us the love of Christ. Bless them, bless their families, give them a good day, give them an even better rest of their life for their service and their willingness to love sacrificially. We love you today, and it's in your powerful Son's name of Jesus that we pray, amen.
God bless you all. I love you. Have a great week.